Uh, I figured you could handle a whole lot of text this morning. You've been complaining. Uh, we spent three weeks in verses 1 to 11 of the chapter. So I said, okay, let's do the whole chapter this morning then. No, uh, I want us to move through the whole passage because it gives Paul's argument for what is our hope? What's our concrete hope? What are we actually waiting for? What are we actually hoping in when it comes to heaven and eternity, life after death, uh, when Jesus returns? What, what are we actually hoping in? Uh, the series began three weeks ago, and if you remember, uh, Pastor Joseph, uh, right there on the left side, uh, preached for us. And he, uh, th- This is Ronald and the team, by the way, uh, in India and then Bangladesh. They were hiking into literal villages in the middle of nowhere uh, to share the good news of the gospel, and Pastor Joseph leads an amazing ministry there, so we were, uh, were there supporting, caring for, encouraging uh, ICBM in the ministry going on there through Pastor Joseph. Um, man, just just a blast. I can't wait. Ronald's going to preach next week and share some stories as well. It's going to be just a blast to hear all about that. But Pastor Joseph started a couple weeks back for us, and, and he said, man, the resurrection is power, uh, power, life over death, power in our lives to carry us through suffering, power for persecution, power to clarify our callings. The, the resurrection is powerful. Uh, then in the second week, we looked at how the resurrection is actually very reasonable. Uh, it, it's historic. It happened in, in real time, in a real place, with real people. And, and it's actually the most logical or reasonable explanation for what occurred after Jesus died, that he actually then resurrected. And then last week, we looked at this idea uh, of deconstruction and giving up our faith for different reasons and, and how uh, the Corinthian church was uh, kind of wrestling with, is this resurrection real or not? And, and, and should I just kind of uh, throw it all away? Is it true? Is it not true? And we wrestled there for a little bit. We're going to pick up right there where Paul kind of ends his argument in verse 19 and head into verses 20 all the way really almost to the end of the chapter. So I, I want to refresh us as we head in because what I want to do this morning is to define what is our hope. I want to define what are we actually hoping in. And then I want to say if that's our hope, how does tomorrow, this hope, this reality to come impact today? How does it transform our lives today? So let's define our hope and then ask how does tomorrow impact today. So uh, here's where we were and the kind of next stage into this argument of defining our hope that Paul takes. So verse 12, uh, right before our passage, we see, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection from the dead? Remember, they're deconstructing that idea. They're, they're tossing it out. And, and Paul is then going to say, man, if, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead... Our preaching, it's in vain. It's useless. The message we have is absolutely useless. Actually, your faith is in vain, he'll then say, verse 14. What you're believing in, it's useless. It has no return. And and then he says, actually, in verse 15, and if, if Jesus isn't raised, then we're a bunch of liars. We're misrepresenting God. And then he'll say in verse 16, if Jesus isn't raised, uh, then your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. There's, there's no forgiveness of sins. If Jesus isn't raised, Jesus isn't God. He's just dead. He hasn't conquered death. He hasn't forgiven us of our sins. He hasn't welcomed us as his sons and daughters by grace. Your faith is futile. We are still in your sins. Those who have died or fallen asleep have perished. 
And then he kind of summarized it in verse 19, right before we step into the definition of our hope. And he says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are to be pitied more than all people. If all we've got is this life only, and we have no hope into all of eternity, because Jesus isn't raised and hasn't transformed all of eternity, then we're to be pitied. We are hopeless. We're just a pile of molecules getting ready to decay into death forever. That's where he ends, and thank goodness he doesn't end in verse 19. Because the next word of verse 20 is one of my favorite in the scriptures. He says, but, but in contrast, we have a hope. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For it's by a man, Adam, that came death, and by a man has come the resurrection of the dead, Jesus. For it's in Adam we all die, so in Christ we will all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ is the first fruits, then at his coming, his return, those who belong to Christ. Now this is really interesting. The first thing that we're going to see about our hope is that it's guaranteed, it's sure. We know it's coming. And Paul, to show that, he takes this uh, uh, agricultural analogy that, that's going to be really familiar to every first century Jew. It's an agricultural uh, civilization. They understand these kinds of analogies. And here's what Paul says. He says, it's just like the farmer when he sows seed into the ground. You know, seed goes in and, and then everybody kind of waters and prays and waits. And, 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 and depending on how the weather does and, and how the seed hits the ground and, and how the soil is, uh, everyone's waiting. And then and everyone's thinking, oh man, my livelihood exists on this. And, and then right before harvest time, there's this moment when, when they start the very beginning of the harvest, the, the seeds are sprouting and harvest is just beginning. And they take in the first fruits. And the first fruits are the very beginning of the harvest. And, and here's what the farmer knows. If, if what I take in the very beginning, it's abundant, it's huge, it's massive, then I know, I am guaranteed, I can expect that this is going to be an amazing harvest. Because these first fruits show what is certain to occur in the harvest. If this is a meager first fruits and I'm not bringing much in of the harvest, then I know this is going to be a really meager harvest. Well, do we see what Paul is saying? Here's what he's saying. He's saying Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection on the cross, he's the first fruits. His first resurrection, his overcoming death, his overcoming the grave, his conquering death, his forgiving of our sins, it points to his return when he comes again and he resurrects us all in him. It's as good as done. His resurrection here, the first one, points to his return and our resurrection then. He's the first fruits of what we can expect and be assured of for all of eternity. It's this analogy of first fruits, this agrarian analogy, but it's also our hope, this guarantee rests not just in this analogy of agriculture, but also in the king's authority, his power, Jesus himself. And notice what's listed next here in this verse as the argument continues as Paul is defining our hope as sure, guaranteed. He says in verse 24, then comes the end 
when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father. After destroying every rule and every authority and power, he must reign until he's put all of his enemies under his feet. And this last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. You see what uh, Paul is saying here? He's saying uh, our king is returning, the one who has all might and authority and power, even over death itself. We saw him raised. We know he will come back to raise us to newness of life. Our king is coming. It's as sure as the first fruits. It's as sure as his power and his might and his authority. He's a mighty God we can trust in. And he says, you know, if this isn't true in verse 29 and following, he says that we have really no hope at all. Because, uh, you know, we're all kind of guessing at what happens after death, aren't we? Uh, Christian or non-Christian. It's all by faith we say, hey, because we have no empirical evidence of, of after death, right? I, we're all kind of saying, I wonder what will happen. Like, am I just a pile of molecules or am I more than molecules? Is God doing something eternal here or does it just end and I go and become fertilizer? And, and notice what Paul is going to say. He says in verses 29 and following, he says, uh, otherwise, what, what do you guys mean by baptizing on behalf of the dead? He's like, even you know it. It's this weird practice you all have of baptizing uh, for the dead. But even that shows that you know there's something beyond the grave. You're not trusting in Christ, he's saying, uh, because you're baptizing for the dead. But, but you know there's this, this uh, echo of eternity in your souls that you know something comes after. And then he goes on in verse 33. He's like, uh, and I have this in Jesus Christ our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts in Ephesus if the dead are not raised? If I have no hope, why would I risk my life like that? He says, if there's nothing after the grave, listen to this little phrase. He says, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Actually, that was Dave Matthews. <laughs> but it's close. <laughs> Eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. It's, it's this Epicurean philosophy which says we're just a, a bunch of molecules. We're going to die and become fertilizer. So, hey, party it up now because we have no hope beyond this. And Paul says, man, if that's true, you have no hope at all. But you know it echoes in your soul. You, you know it in that moment of a funeral when you look at that dead body. And you and I, we realize, ah, they're not all there. There's something eternal missing from that shell of a body. And Paul says, that's right. It's not just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. You can be guaranteed there's an eternity. Uh, we're all guessing a bit after death, right? But what Paul says is, hey, just like the agricultural movement of our calendar, Jesus was the first fruits and he will return. Uh, just like uh, the power of our mighty king who will overcome the grave. Remember when he walked with you for 40 days and taught you after he'd resurrected? Just like his power that's going to come back and make all things new, we can be sure, he says, otherwise you've got no hope, but we can have hope. We can be certain of what we long for. We can trust in what we don't see. We have faith of what is true and guaranteed in Christ. And so first, our hope when we define it, it's guaranteed. The second is we have a physical hope. We have a physical hope. In the resurrection into all of eternity, when Jesus returns, we know our hope is a physical one. As someone will ask, how are the dead raised? He says in verse 35, what kind of body do they have? 
And at first, he's kind of like a silly question, and Paul even highlights it. You foolish person, what's sown doesn't come to life unless it dies, right? He goes back to that uh, agriculture analogy. Uh, but here's what uh, they're asking and what Paul is answering. What kind of body is that going to be like when we're resurrected into all of eternity? Well, Paul's going to go on, you know, you know, there's some bodies, a fish has a certain kind of flesh and a certain kind of body, uh, animals have another, and then, you know, the, the star and the moon and, and the sun, they all have different kinds of bodies, and, and, and then Paul says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is imperishable, what is raised is imperishable. He says, what is sown is a natural body, but then when you're resurrected, it's a spiritual body. Just like a fish has a body and a human has a body and, and before we die it's sewn into the ground and, and just like all the animals have a body, so we have a resurrected actual body which is like and it's unlike our current body. That's the next thing Paul does here. In this physical resurrection of our body, he shows the contrast of our current bodies and our bodies to come, our resurrected bodies. He says it like this. He says, first, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. And I am so glad. Because the moment you were born, you and I, we started to die. Right? The moment you were born, you started to develop, and then you started dying, uh, uh, falling apart. Maybe you feel it in your lower back. Like, I'm pretty proud of this. I hadn't had a physical for eight years. I know I should not be proud of that. So I, then I had one a bunch of years back, and then I thought, I learned my lesson. So two, three years later, I had another one just last week. <laughs> had, my, had my physical last week, and I go in thinking, I'm in pretty good shape. This is, I'm working out. I'm eating okay. And he goes, you have high blood pressure, 142 over 92. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. He's like, he's like, well, it's not great. And I'm like, okay. But see, uh, this, this is what makes me happy about the fact I'm going to have an imperishable body in all of eternity, right? Like, like when we were born, we started dying. And, and it might be the, the, the pain in your lower back or the crick in your knee you feel or your high blood pressure or the cancer that's eating away at your body. But here's what's true. We're going to have an imperishable body. It's never going to fall apart. We're going to walk and sing and rejoice and dance when all is made new and right. I can't wait. I can't wait. The next contrast is this. What's sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. See, we've never done anything spiritual in our lives that we have not done with our bodies. Let me say it again. We've never done anything spiritual in our lives that we've not done with our bodies. And here's what Paul says. He says, you, you now use your body for dishonor and disobedience and shaming God and shaming others and living for yourself. And it's bringing destruction in your life and the lives of others. Dishonorable. Me, you, all of us. He says, but in the new heavens and the new earth, you're going to be raised in honor and glory. And we're going to use our bodies for everything wonderful and worship of our God and love and selfless sacrifice for our neighbor and friend. That day is coming and I cannot wait. You know you hate the sins that you keep doing. And he says a day is coming when all that your body's going to be used for is glory and honor and worship and love towards God and others. And the last one here is what is sown in weakness will be raised in power. 
Oh, man, we are so unable with our bodies. We wish we could do more in our lives, more powerful to bring about change in our own personal lives or bring about change in our family or bring about change in our county or our country. I wish I had the power to make the change I want to make. And and God says, you will have a powerful body all used for good and glory. Where you feel your insufficiencies now, you won't feel it then. In some then, you have a natural body now, but you will be raised with a spiritual body. Like and unlike our current bodies. Uh, But what kind of template or parallel can we look at to understand what kind of body this is? Well, Jesus himself. His kind of resurrected body is going to be the kind of resurrected body we have for all of eternity. You know, Paul goes through this, all this confusing language of, you know, there's this man who came, Adam, who broke it all and was dust and died. But then there was this man who came, Jesus, who, who resurrected and made it all new and right. And then in summary, Paul says this in verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that Adam in his broken body and sinfulness, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. We'll be given a body just like his. His body is the template for our new body. First uh, John chapter 3, verses 1-3 to 3 says it this way, When Jesus returns, we're going to see Him and be made just like Him. Now think about it. Uh, in John chapter 19, the last week of Jesus' life here on earth, he, He's flogged, He's beaten, he, he, He's hung on a cross, He's stabbed and, and bleeds, and, and His body is pulverized, and it's buried, and three days later, He resurrects into newness of life, and He's got this body still bearing the scars of His physical life here on earth, but also in glory, so much so that when Jesus comes to His disciples who knew Him really well, at first they don't even recognize Him, but then they do recognize Him, they're like, oh, dang, you're Jesus, and he's like, yeah, I am, right? Like he did look like him and he, he was like him and, and certainly they knew him as he was uh, teaching, uh, but his body was new in glory and resurrected so much so he's going to ascend and he's going to shine in glory and then that same kind of body, but it is a body, right? He's eating fish. He's, he's sitting with them. He lets Thomas uh, touch the scars in his hands. He says, yeah, it's still a body, but it's a body in glory and resurrected. What was perishable? These bodies sewn into the ground, then risen to newness of life with spiritual bodies in a template just like his body, where he dwells now in all of eternity in his body, glorified and perfect. Our new bodies mean that we are going to have physical, we're going to have a new creation, physical, heaven here on earth. I love this truth. <laughs> Because I love physical stuff. I love a great meal. I love sitting around a a bonfire with a bunch of good friends. I I love when justice reigns. I love when uh, the poor are cared for. I love when, when, when what is physical comes to its best foretaste and fruition here, pointing me to the reality of what I love and long for in all of eternity. You know, I remember uh, back in middle school, I, I came to know Christ in eighth grade. And so I remember, you know, the worship leader up front, he's like singing, we're singing like the cheesiest songs with this, like, it was a great church, but really cheesy songs. And, and the guy's like, heaven's just going to be like this. And we're going to have halos and we'll be floating in the sky with harps singing for all of eternity. And I'm like, 
That sounds terrible. I don't even, I don't play the harp. I play trumpet, you know? I, I, that doesn't sound good, fun, wonderful to me. And that's because heaven's nothing like that. It's not this ethereal, we're like these flighty spirit beings and strumming on harps with halos. See, heaven is a lot like right here, but with no brokenness, no sin, no injustice, where every one of us live for the betterment of our neighbor, where every one of us love our God who dwells with us. We enjoy perfect relationship with him and perfect relationship with each other. Sin is done away with. Death no longer reigns. There is no tear. There is no weeping. There is only joy in our God in relationship with him and in relationship with each other. Uh, Romans chapter 8 gives a great picture of this, and so does Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 4, and Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. Uh, let me just read out of the Romans passage because I think it's so fitting for our physical, eternal hope of new bodies and new recreation here on earth. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 and following reads this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing. The creation, all of creation, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected in futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself is going to be set free from its bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And then a little further down in verse 23, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that guarantee deposit of our inheritance, a new creation, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions of sons, the redemption, the buying back of our bodies. Do we hear it? When we see in Revelation chapter 21, what we see is God brings heaven to earth, a new Jerusalem, a new earth here, where he, he mends everything here on earth, and, and everything that is not to be is burned away, and everything that is to be for all of eternity remains, and we rejoice here without mourning, without weeping, without wailing any longer, because God comes to us and brings heaven to earth. Oh, what a day. See, I think this fits perfectly with the very power of our God and the pattern of redemption. Think about it for a second. The power of our God. God creates, makes humanity, and then we in our sinfulness, we break it. And Satan says, I'm going to leverage that sin to break everything here on earth. How weak would our God be if he just said, oh, dang, I got to get rid of that and go on with something different. See, he's not on some sort of rescue mission to get us out of here, this burning ship, and say, okay, well, see you later. Uh, I've jettisoned that initial plan. But no, he is actually culminating, bringing to fruition his eternal plan here on earth. In his might and his power, in the very beginning when it's broken, what does he say? He says, I'm going to take Satan's head and I'm going to crush it like a snake. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against God and his power. Right, This is our God. He brings about what He plans to bring about, which is His new creation here on earth where all is made new and all is made right. This is the pattern of redemption too, isn't it? 
Yeah, he doesn't look at us in our sin and our brokenness and say, ah, shoot, I just got to give up on you. Now think about the woman at the well. She comes weeping, right, in, in her sinfulness. And, and he says, oh, I love you and I redeem you. You're my daughter by grace. He doesn't give up on us. He runs towards us. And, and this is why I think also heaven is here on earth. And we see it in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 and, and Romans chapter 8. Because God runs towards us and runs towards his creation to bring about the redemption he has planned. This fits the very power and the very pattern of our God. God does not scrap his initial plans, but he fulfills his eternal plans. And that changes everything about today. That tomorrow, that hope, that hope that is guaranteed, that hope that is physical, that hope that is eternal, changes everything about today. That's the last one, eternal hope. It's guaranteed, it's physical, and it's eternal. We'll just dip a little bit in these last verses of the chapter. Because here's what happens at a funeral. A funeral, it fe- it's so physical, isn't it? And it feels so final. I don't know the last funeral you went to. Uh, I went to one just two weeks ago, but, but a few years back, I went to this funeral as a good friend of mine. His dad had passed away, and his dad passed away way too early from COVID. And man, it was heartbreaking. It's just truthfully heartbreaking. And I'll just never forget, man, the, the two of them had the most awesome relationship. I got to know his dad through my friend and, and just a wonderful guy, the life of the, life of the party, <laughs> and so generous with everything he had, just an amazing guy. But then they lowered him into the ground in a casket. And I'll just never forget uh, seeing that shovel take this big piece of dirt, just throw it on there, and this big piece of dirt hits the top of the casket and bursts on it. And I just think they're just they're going to bury his body. And his body's going to decay there. And the physical realities of how death stops our physical life here and breaks every good relationship, breaks the joy that we have with each other, breaks all the good enjoyment that we have in our bodies and our families and our communities and everything and just shatters it. And then I just went to just went a couple weeks ago to another funeral, a guy 41 years old, a friend of mine from high school, 41, and his dad gets up there to share about him, he's crying, and he, he says, man, it's just, it blew my mind, because the first thing he talked about is when this, this kid was in middle school, and he got bullied, and how that just sent this spiral of depression in his life, and brokenness, and and there are moments of joy, and, and his dad highlighted those too, but, but man, I, I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, like, the way we destroy each other here. <laughs> it, it, it's also physical, and then also final, he's, he's there in a casket as well, and, 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 and at funerals, you, you just can't hide from the fact that how broken our world is. And it feels so final, but... But what our hope is, what our hope here, a Christian hope says, that's not the end. Like, we're going to get new bodies. It's going to be resurrected for all of eternity. This is going to be a place where there's no bullying and, and our bodies are working right and we are loving each other and worshiping our God and enjoying right relationship with Him and each other. Oh, what a day it's going to be. 
A day when, when these words come true, the perishable puts on imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death wears your victory. Death wears your sting. Oh, what a hope we have. Oh, what a hope we have. This will transform this tomorrow hope will transform our today. This hope creates such endurance and such engagement in our life today. Uh, first, it creates endurance. Uh, go with me to this thought experiment. Uh, you, you take two of the same people, right? You got two women, they're the exact same, maybe even twins, and you put them in the same room and, and you tell them, hey, uh, you know, all year, here's what you're going to do for your job. You're going to take widget A and put it on widget B, and you're going to put it together. You're going to hand it down the assembly line, and that's going to go, uh, and that person over there is going to put it together, and that's, that's kind of your job. And I got this from a, a book that Tim Keller wrote uh, called Making Sense of God. And, and so th- that's, that's it. These, these two are doing the exact same job, and it's just so mundane, so boring. And they're putting it together. And then you, you tell the one, say, hey, you know, at the end of this year, you're going to get $30,000. And then you tell the other, but you're going to get $30 million at the end of this year. Isn't that going to absolutely transform the way that each of them work in endurance? And actually, not just endurance. Like the one that's making $30,000 is going to be, oh, my gosh. But the one who's headed towards $30 million is going to be thinking, oh, my gosh, right? Like, all right, widget A and widget B, hitting, all right. <laughs> like, there's joy, there's endurance, there's, there's like, I, I love this job. Because <laughs> she knows what's coming. Uh, we named our daughter Eden Hope Klingler when she was born. Eden Hope Klingler, and, and some of you know the story of our daughter. She's just absolutely beautiful and amazing, and her mind is very broken. And we had no idea how profound that name was going to be when we named her. But Eden Hope Klingler. See, our hope is a physical hope. It's an eternal hope when all things are mended and everyone's brain works the way it ought to work and everyone's body works the way it ought to work and sin is done away with and death is gone. And man, that'll take you through. No matter what you're facing, the hardest days raising the hardest of kids and burdens that feel unbearable and seeing and enjoying the joys even in the brokenness as we wait for all of eternity. When it's all going to be better. Now, go back to that thought experiment with me for a second. You know, what if you told then the, the one who's making $30 million that year, putting widget A with widget B, and I added this piece of the analogy, this thought experiment. What if you told her, oh, by the way, the thing you're making, it's going to transform life out there for people. It's going to give them the most purpose, the most joy, the most peace. It's going to actually unite them with what they're actually created to do in life. Uh, see, it wouldn't just be what she's being paid at the end or what she gets at the end, but it would be the, the value of the work itself that she's engaged in that moment. She's like, oh, man, I had no idea what I was making here and what I was involved in here, that it would change all of eternity. Yeah, I'm in. See, our hope. It's not that God is going to scrap plan A here, but he is building into plan A for all of eternity in a new creation. We are engaged in the work of the gospel here, which will carry into all of eternity. This is no burning ship. We have an opportunity to bring foretaste of the eternal kingdom to bear today. 
when we live for our God with in view of what's tomorrow. Uh, think of this paradigm for a second. When, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, here, here's how it begins. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I love that part of the prayer. It's the paradigm in which we ought to live in engagement. We're not some burning ship trying to get people to say a little prayer so they can get into all of eternity. We're actually in the work of redeeming God's creation, bringing redemption into individual people's lives that they might go with us into all of eternity as well as the things that are righteous and, and God-honoring carry there as well. Uh, the, the, your kingdom coming now today on earth as it is in heaven. So in, in Revelation chapter 7, at the end of time, here's what we see. All people, all nations, a diverse unity ethnically all over the globe coming together to worship our God. And here's what we also see on earth today. We ought to see Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 20, which says, uh, man, no matter how different we are ethnically and in our stories and our cultures, we come together to know and love and worship our God with one another. Right? As it is on heaven, let it be here on earth. Uh, here in heaven, we see in Isaiah 55 that there's this going to be abundance and amazing. Everyone's going to eat and drink and enjoy with abundance without cost. It'll be wonderful. Uh, that's why we see then in Acts chapter 6, when the Hellenistic widows are not being fed and are going famished and hungry, that God says, get engaged in that too, because as it is in heaven, so it ought to be here on earth, a foretaste of what we'll enjoy for all of eternity. It engages us in what will carry us into eternity. That's why we see refugee resettlement taking place in our church. That's why we see vulnerable children and, and families being cared for and adopted. That's why we see Title I schools being supported and encouraged. Because as it will be in heaven, we want a foretaste here on earth. It's like... Uh, you ever been to the movies and you want to see this one movie, but what happens before you see all these previews, right? And you see a preview, you sit there, you watch it, and then what's the first thing that happens right after the preview? You turn to your neighbor and you go, lame. Or you turn to your neighbor and you go, I can't wait to see that, <laughs> right? It's a trailer, it's a foretaste of how all of eternity will be that we engage in foretaste of the kingdom of God now. So we we bring foretastes of God's kingdom now, and we also share the message of the king. Uh, every week, uh, hopefully you've been picking these up as you come in, or, or some of you actually are like, man, I got so many of those at home unfilled out, I don't even want any more. <laughs> the to whom mouth sheet. Uh, here's what I encourage you. This is just an intentional movement to write down a few names of neighbors, coworkers, friends, family members who don't yet know Jesus. Because you love your Savior, and you love them so much, and, and man, it, wouldn't it be amazing if the two met, if, if Jesus and your neighbors, your coworkers, your, your family, your friends who don't know him could, could meet each other, and then, and then God by his grace could carry your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family members into all of eternity forever. Man, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be the most loving thing you could do for someone to share the good news of who your king is and what he's done? I'd say fill that thing out and start praying and thinking, how can... I live a life that I'm not just bringing foretaste of the kingdom here, but I'm bringing the message of the king that my neighbors, coworkers, family members, friends might know him as well. This is our first fruits. We remind ourselves of it every Sunday. The first fruits of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. That his body was broken. 
His blood was spilled. In your place and in my place, if by faith we would trust in Him. And it didn't end there, or we'd have no hope. We'd be pitied beyond all people if our hope was only just in this earth. But then He resurrected to newness of life, that He would return, and we too would be resurrected to newness of life. That he would bring a new creation here on earth that we did get to enjoy for all of eternity. And we would shout, death, where is your sting? Sin, where is your victory? Our Savior has overcome. And we would live with him and enjoy relationship with God, relationship with others for all of eternity. So let's remember now. Let's take and eat and remember who our Savior is and what he's done as we look forward to his return. And the hope that we have, the hope that is guaranteed, it's physical and it's eternal. Let's take and eat together.